Welcome into AWA Unleashed, the number one self-proclaimed preeminent video stream and podcast dedicated to reliving the memories of our favorite territory, the American Wrestling Association. My name is Chris Tubbs. I am one of three individuals here. So without any further ado, let's bring in the other two. Let's bring in uh, Mick Karch and Polish Joe. Guys, I can't believe we're already at the end of the year. Like this, it, it's really hard to to think that we've only been doing this for a year. And Joe, I mean, you've been on for maybe a month and a half or so, but I know you followed the podcast. I mean, man, what a 2022 we've had. I've had fun so far. Uh, I, I know I just started, I think, uh, three or four episodes in. I'm looking forward to 2023, to be perfectly honest with you. It's been a great start, a great end of 2022, being on AWA Unleashed. Let's rock and roll. Let's get this rolling even bigger and better and better. You know what's interesting is the people who are looking at the AWA like as a, a blip on the radar, the more we talk about this, the more we realize and emphasize mm -hmm. just how damn good the AWA was. Yes, and we have topics that could go on forever and ever about the AWA. But as an aside, I'm looking at us here, guys, the three of us here. Mm -hmm. This is like we're doing a commercial for America's best, you know, $59.95 with a free vision exam. <laughs> Holy mech. Although my glasses are the kind, you know, I could hold them up against a bug on the sidewalk and he'd burn instantly, you know. <laughs> well, hold on. Hold on here. One of these things is not like the other. One of these oh, things oh, just doesn't matter. Okay, sorry. The the glasses actually cover up my lazy eye. Wait, oh. I don't even know which one's lazy. Neither yeah, one of them. Neither one of them want to work. I went oh, the librarian route because I got sick of buying the ten pack from Sam's Club, <laughs> having ten different pair lying all over the house and in my car, and still not being able to find my damn glasses. You so, need. Here we go. You need to look at a guy like, oh, yeah, not, not the first time Mick's been poked in the eye by something. Anyway, uh, let's, uh, let's get uh, moving to today, guys. It, we're going to wrap up the year by talking about one of really the most important times of the year for wrestling promotions and territories. And that was the holidays. Yes. And we kind of touched a little bit on Thanksgiving, but it always seemed like Christmas seemed to be kind of a, a, a big day in the wrestling business. And uh, Joe, I mean, kind of take me through some of, you know, wh why you feel that Christmas was such a big, big deal in the wrestling business. You know, I, I would say that for the AWA, it was big, especially in the Twin Cities, because this was the home of the AWA. Um, I remember growing up, uh, my family celebrated Christmas on Christmas Eve, and Christmas Day was just sort of recuperating from uh, from shot shots of vodka and and, uh, and very many various forms of kielbasa and, and pierogies and so forth. Um, but we looked forward to that Christmas night match just because it, it felt magical. It was, it was 
Christmas meets professional wrestling. And as a young kid, by the way, I was not doing shots of vodka as a young kid. That would have been uh, later in my life before I started with the AWA. Uh, well, you just ruined the illusion. <laughs> K-Fabe, Joe, K-Fabe, K-Fabe. Side note, I will say on my first trip to Poland as, uh, let's see, I would have been uh, nine years old. That's when I did my first shot of vodka, unbeknownst or mistakenly um, <laughs> taken in front of my mom. Came in from the farmyard. I was thirsty from playing with my cousins. They're all drinking shots of vodka. And my uncle goes, well, here, take one of these. They didn't think I would do it. They was wrong. But and the rest is history. Yes, back to the magic of Christmas. It was just a special night. I wouldn't say that the AWA went, uh, went gaga over it. Certainly the talent expressed themselves in the promos. Uh, um, but, you know, wrestling back then, there, there was no jumbotrons. There was no multicolored lights and, and, and a grandiose stage entrance. They walked down the aisle surrounded by security guards and, and off-duty Minneapolis police officers. And they went to the ring. You'd be lucky if a guy had maybe a Santa hat on or maybe the coat. But that was about it. But it, but it, it just, the magic of Christmas extended to the magic of the AWA on Christmas night. I think Joe said it absolutely 100% spot on. Uh, the AWA did not get outlandish in terms of angles uh, that were Christmas-related like a Santa Claus, uh, you know, a wrestler in a Santa Claus outfit attacking somebody. Um, they didn't do that. Uh, they kept it pretty much, you know, uh, close close to the elbow. And Christmas time, you know, you're in the state of Minnesota. You're in the northern tier where, you know, you got the Christmas lights all over the place. And like Joe said, it just added to the mystique of that particular card that time of year. Uh, the AWA... Not necessarily they would have this blockbuster main event necessarily. It might have been just your run-of-the-mill main event. But when they added the fact that this is a family event, come on out with the kids, you know, have that Christmas dinner and open those presents and then come out to the AWA action, it meant something. And, uh, and, and certainly over the years, both Minneapolis and St. Paul drew extremely well, for the most part, uh, on Christmas night. So let me kind of piggyback off of that, Mick, uh, you know, based out of Minneapolis, St. Paul, and primarily you're looking at an upper Midwest territory, you know, Green Bay, Chicago, Madison, Milwaukee, you know, the Twin Cities. Did weather ever play a factor into maybe kind of keeping some of the crowds down, you know, because, you know, I mean, weather, it's, it's kind of hit and miss in this region. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if the AWA fans took it as a challenge or not, you know, to, to buck the system. But traditionally, the Thanksgiving and Christmas cards drew extremely well here. And, and Joe has mentioned before that there's kind of a season in wrestling, you know, from fall to spring and then summertime, there's a lull. The fans don't give a rat's ass about how bad the weather is. And back in the day, especially for these holiday cards, they would line up if they if they had the doors to the lobby locked, they would line up. My old friend, the late Steve Blitz, he would get there a week in advance if he had to 
to get his front row ticket to the show, and he'd stand out there in 15 below zero. Uh, the fans just came out and supported pro wrestling. And again, it wasn't only on Christmas night. If there was a big show, they didn't care what the temperature was. And that, that extended not only to Milwaukee and Chicago and Green Bay, but here in the Twin Cities, boy, wrestling fans, they're diehard. If they want to see Crusher and the dog in a cage, they'll go through hell and high water and, and a frozen tundra uh, in order to do it. I agree. I mean, the one thing that I would add is, particularly here in the Twin Cities market, Minnesota market, um, and going back to the 1970s and the 1980s, you didn't have as many entertainment options as you do today. You didn't have the internet. You had channel four, five, nine, and 11, and you know, PBS channel two was an afterthought. Um, so you just didn't have a ton. Uh, and, and especially around Thanksgiving and Christmas, there was no basketball team. We had the Minnesota North Stars. We had the Minnesota Vikings. They typically weren't going to be playing on the holidays. So, again, you have limited entertainment options. And I think people were a little bit, shall we say, hardier back then in terms of the weather. It's like 12 inches of snow. What? That's it? You know, nowadays everything shuts down, um, it, which is fine, you know, safety first and so forth. But people, as Mick said, they would go through hell and high mm -hmm. water or 12, you know, climb uphill 12 miles and 34 inches of snow um, to go and see an AWA Christmas wrestling show. So how did the content, you guys, how did that vary from the rest of the year? Because... I know that you you both have kind of touched on, well, they really didn't change a whole lot. You might have a, you know, somebody might come out in a Santa hat or, you know, a little bit of a, a Christmas or a holiday flair to it. But at the end of the day, was it just drastically different or was it just kind of the normal, you know, timeline of storytelling? You know, what's interesting about it, I thought in looking back or thinking back in the, the catacombs of this old mind that, uh, the AWA would always do something special with a big match on Christmas or Thanksgiving, and it wasn't always the case. Uh, sometimes, you know, if there was a battle royal, which was really traditional for Thanksgiving night, they would do that. Uh, but I was looking at some old newspaper clippings and what have you and, and looking at the dates for Christmas cards past. And mm -hmm. you know what? They really didn't go out, go all out as far as being outlandish. They would have their card, whatever it was, they're following their typical storylines and angles, but they would add that family Christmas, that kind of caveat to the event, which all of a sudden it transformed in your mind, hey, this is a Christmas spectacular, even though it might not have been as good as the, the card that they had last April. Yeah, well, if you take a look at the way wrestling is today, uh, in particular, the WWE, they have their schedule set. So, you know, SummerSlam is obviously in the summer. WrestleMania is going to be, uh, you know, March and April-ish. Um, the AWA was very similar for their holiday shows. Uh, Thanksgiving would typically be the Battle Royal. And yeah. the winner of the $50,000 or $100,000, <laughs> yeah, right, 
but then also get a shot at the. I believe that was crypto, Joe. I believe it was one hundred thousand dollars in crypto. Um, I was told that it was monopoly money, but it could be crypto to update that uh, term to today's uh, vernacular. But so the, the AWA, yeah, it was promoted as a Thanksgiving card. It was promoted as a, a as a Christmas card. But it was it was just because it was that holiday. You know, it, it added the little extra fervor. And I can say, as a fan growing up in the 70s, um, it did mean a little bit extra. Even if that little extra was Crusher walking out with the Santa hat on or the Santa suit on, um, whatever it might be, that little extra made the Christmas shows that much more special. And you have to keep in mind, even just that little wearing of a hat, Mm -hmm. these were the days where the guys would walk out to the ring. There was, again, no entrance ramp, no pyrotechnics. There were five vapor lights hanging over the ring. That was it. The pop that would, that would happen when the guys would walk out of the locker room area surrounded by all those security guards, that was a huge deal. Not the pyrotechnics, not whatever else went along with it. So my point is, yeah, it wasn't exactly a wild AWA Christmas show. They didn't have a, an 80-foot Christmas tree lit up or anything, but they certainly mm -hmm. tied the theme into it, and it worked. Chris, if you could put that clip back up uh, that you just had up there, I just wanted to allude to it a little bit. Uh, that was also from a Christmas show, and there it is. Now you see, I, I'm not sure the year on that. I'm guessing early 1970s by the by the talent on the show, but you've got a pretty decent card. I mean, it's a pretty decent main event, but it's not a cage match. It's not a wouldn't battle. That, wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be 71? That would be that would be absolutely accurate. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and, and if you look at that, yeah, they brought the gals in. They brought Vivian Deshaun and Jean Antone in as a special attraction. Occasionally, they'd bring in the midgets as well. But the main event, as solid as it was, Henning and Anderson against Dr. X and Billy Robinson, yes, it was based off a storyline. It was based off angles. But it wasn't this big stipulation blow-off match. But still, as Joe and I have said, they got the, the Christmas connection to it, and, uh, and it worked. And you also put up just a minute ago what I think is an absolute classic, and that was a greeting card that had been sent out by the AWA office uh, to those of us who were in and around the AWA. And this is going to be late 1970s. And a couple of things interesting about this. You notice all the wrestlers have the same physique. It was kind of the like the early Remco AWA figures. Whether you were Greg Gagne or the Crusher, you had the same body build. Also, virtually every autograph looks the same. Uh, <laughs> so what are you saying, Mick? Are, are you saying that it wasn't really autographed by them? Uh, no, no, no. What I'm saying okay. is maybe, okay. maybe as part of Vern's training camp, he might have also had an autograph seminar <laughs> uh, where everybody was kind of taught the same way to sign an <laughs> autograph. But this was a great collectible. And uh, just, you know, for shits and giggles, uh, let's quickly take a look. Lord Alfred Hayes, Super Destroyer Mark II, Steve Olsonowski, Bobby Heenan, Pat Patterson, the Crusher, the Iron Sheik, 
Black Jack Lanza, Bobby Duncan, Ray Stevens, Jim Brunzel, Billy Robinson, Vern Gagne, Wally Carville, Nick Bockwinkle, <laughs> and Greg Gagne. And uh, season's greetings from the AWA. And what a great, great collectible that was. Love it. Love looking back. So because we're talking about the holidays, I, I have to ask, because you're talking about physiques and maybe, you know, they're kind of all the same. Was there someone who was actually a Santa before they got into the AWA? I mean, I'm just, I'm making the loose connection here. I'm, I'm kind of connecting the dots, McCarch. You know, a lot of guys could have before they got in the AWA. Belinsky comes to mind. He would have made a good Santa Claus. I know Joe's personal favorite. Um, the one that I know for a fact was a department store Santa, grew up here in the Twin Cities, went to Richfield High School, and then went on to a tremendous career as a manager heel in pro wrestling. Let's take a look. There he is. There's Santa Claus right there. Uh, that is our friend, the late, great John Sutton, Red Sutton, Sir Oliver Humperdinck, and Dayton's department store. Uh, at Christmas time, Sir Oliver would actually don the Santa suit, uh, put the white beard over the red beard, and uh, and he would have the kids sitting in his lap at uh, Christmas time before he got into the professional wrestling business. So yes. Virginia, there is a Santa Claus, and his name is Humperdinck. Man. And he filled that role appropriately. Well, yeah, yeah he sure did. He filled the suit appropriately. <laughs> <laughs> Here nor there. Okay, so let's – because what – I think one of the things you, you guys wanted to do is, you know, really kind of talk about a couple of cards and the contrast in – the, the two cards. So we're going to go to the eighties here or fast forward. Uh, let's get into a couple of shows, Mick, that, that I know you and Joe wanted to kind of, you know, really kind of banter back and forth and kind of get into some of the, the nuances of them. So I'm going to go ahead and let you, uh, I'm going to let you guys go ahead and kick it around and uh, I'll be waiting with the pictures. I would say, and I think Joe would agree with this. The, the early show that we're going to uh, put on screen a little bit better than the latter show, but still the latter show had an awful lot of talent. Um, the big difference is the way that it drew us. So we're taking you back to the Christmas show 1981, and we're going to go through these matches real quickly just to rekindle some memories. Uh, the main event of that Christmas show in the Twin Cities in 1981 was Nick Bockwinkle, one-on-one -on -one in the ring, and he was in the ring with Billy Robinson, and uh, there's there's the champ, and what a what a tremendous picture that is, exemplary, uh, world heavyweight champion, and I've said many times he and Robinson had the greatest feud, the most believable feud, uh, in the AWA, and have we got a, have we got Billy uh, ready to roll there? There he is, uh, the cockeyed coal miner, as Ray Stevens used to call him. <laughs> That's right. Uh, shooter Billy Robinson. This guy could tie you in knots very easily. That was the main event on that card. So tremendous main event. So we go on to another match on the show. In the tag team wars, the team of Ken Patera and Big Bad Bobby Duncan teamed up. I believe they were the Black and Blue Express, if I remember correctly. That's Duncan on your left and our friend Kenny Patera on the right. 
Uh, and boy, what a powerhouse tag team. Very underrated Bobby Duncan, by the way. And they worked against a team. You're going to recognize one guy here. I know that somewhere in the business, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, look at that. Look at that. Look at that hairy chest. Look at that, that long, those long locks. That's that Thunderlips. That's Thunderlips from Rocky. Three. Thunderlips from Rocky Sterling Golden, the incredible Hulk Hogan. Ladies and gentlemen, who, of course, was absolutely on fire in the early 1980s here in the AWA. And Hulk teamed up with uh, one of our good friends. And if we've got his uh, photo ready to go, let's take a peek at him. Drum roll. There he is. Tito Santana, one of the nicest guys in the wrestling business. So Duncan and Patera actually defeated the combination of Hulk Hogan and Tito Santana Rare defeat for Hulk Hogan here in the Twin Cities back in 1981. Hey, Mick, I, I, I got to ask, the one thing that strikes me about that match is the combination of Hogan and Santana. What I, I don't remember what precipitated the two of them getting together. My guess is that Duncan and Patera did a beat down on Tito, and Tito brought in Hogan as a partner. I wish I could remember. Uh, what I would say is that Tito was pretty red hot back then, too. Uh, if you remember, he got involved in a feud with uh, Sheik Adnan uh, back in the day. That was kind of uh, Adnan's uh, real foray into the AWA. So Tito was pretty red hot as a baby face here. So I, I, I think the combination actually worked very well. Uh, there was another tag team match uh, on this show, which is kind of rare where you have two tag matches. But there they are. Your Highness, uh, that is uh, Sheik Ayatollah Blackwell <laughs> on the left of the screen. And, of course, Sheik Adnan LKC. And they uh, got into the ring with the high flyers, Greg Gagne and Jumpin' Jim Brunzel, as hot a tag team as there has been in AWA history. And I believe uh, the Sheiks uh, defeated the high flyers by disqualification on that show. So again, two great tag matches, a great singles main event. Also on the card, you had a guy who used to come out with a boombox. Unfortunately, I didn't find a picture of him, uh, but I did find a picture of his opponent for the evening, Joe, and you may be familiar with this guy. Let's take a, like a peek ski, as they say in the business, at the opponent. Oh, there he goes. And there he is. Bobby the Brain Heenan, who got into the ring with that guy with the boombox, and actually Bobby, God bless him, put the guy over, as he did many, many times. Uh, so that was an added attraction uh, on that card. Yep, and uh, God bless Bobby Heenan. He gave everybody a break, whether they deserved it or not. Uh, also on the show, uh, we've talked about Sergeant Jacques Goulet. Uh, Sergeant uh, Jacques Goulet and one time Rene Goulet came into the Twin Cities and uh, as a heel, of course, uh, at that point. And there he is. That's an early shot of Rene. I think he was just kind of transitioning from babyface to heel there. He was still Rene. Who gave him the nickname Pepe Le Pew? Uh, that was the boombox guy. Oh, he gave it to him. Okay. Yeah. Don't yeah. want to give him any more credit. Next. Yeah, that, that'll be enough of that. That's, uh, you know, his legacy. And uh, there's the man. There's the man right there that uh, Rene Goulet defeated on that uh, St. Paul 
card back in 1981, our good buddy Kenny Sodbuster J. And to open the show, ladies and gentlemen, boy, you talk about taking a trip back in time. And Joe, I know we've, we've talked about this. Yet a young guy by the name of Kurt Hennig, uh, who was getting his foray into professional wrestling. Uh, back at the time, he had uh, been in and around the business for a little while. Uh, but Kurt was uh, getting his feet wet as a clean-cut, baby-faced rookie here in the AWA area. Look at him. Look, Look at, at him right there. Good. Oh, my God. Uh, that is early Kurt Hennig. And uh, Kurt got into the ring with a guy that should have made it bigger in professional wrestling than he did. Uh, but sadly, he did not. Uh, wasn't in the business all that long. And that is at the bottom of the cover of the magazine. He yeah, he sure did. Yep, that is Evan Johnson, former University of Minnesota great and Olympian. And Evan was in the business, as they say, for a cup of coffee. He went to a draw with Kurt Hennig on that night. Uh, I'm assuming it was a scientific draw to open up the show. Drew pretty well back in 1981. And it's amazing how things can change in terms of attendance, at least, as we fast forward to 1987. And Joe, you were there. This is at the Minneapolis Auditorium. And uh, we're going to talk about the main event, first of all. There was a rekindling of a family feud that was going on in the AWA circles in the late 1980s. And that is with uh, Kurt Hennig again. And uh, his opponent that night was, well, that, that's fine. You can leave Greg up there. Uh, his opponent that night was Greg Gagne. And Kurt and Larry Hennig, they were actually reuniting his father and son. They were both heels, and they were taking on Vern and Greg Gagne in all kinds of fisticuffs in and around the ring. And, uh, and Kurt and Greg main evented. That match uh, battled the second-generation wrestlers. There's Kurt with the AWA Heavyweight Championship belt. Uh, Greg defeated Kurt by disqualification. I believe Larry got involved in that match, and then Vern got involved, and all hell broke loose. And you know, But that was your main event, 1987 Christmas in Minneapolis, also on the card. And again, not even the main event, but what a great match because these two were feuding. I'm talking about Adrian Adonis and Chief Wahoo McDaniel. Let's take a look, and oh, boy. Adorable Adrian. Adorable Adrian, and I remember the first time I introduced Adrian at 290 pounds uh, for one of the tapings. Vern on commentary said, 290? You know, like, well, let's get serious here. Let's, uh, you know, maybe add another 100 pounds. <laughs> But Adrian, of course, had, had gone to New York and undergone that transformation. Certainly not the Adrian Adonis that we knew. His opponent, Chief Wahoo McDaniel. And Joe will know that Wahoo actually, with Ray Stevens, was one of the bookers uh, for the AWA back at that point in 1987. So that uh, Adonis defeated Wahoo by disqualification on that card. Also, interesting, a tag team match. Midnights all around. Everywhere you looked, there was a midnight. Uh, we had the team of the original Midnight Express with Paul E. Dangerously. They were the AWA Tag Team Champions, and they were in the ring. And that's Dennis Condry on the left 
and uh, Randy Rose on the right, and they got in the ring with another set of Midnighters uh, that you may be familiar with. And that, of course, is Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty, the Midnight Rockers. Boy, right out, right out of grade school there. Never recognize Shawn Michaels today, uh, you know, if you look at that picture. But uh, it was a tag team draw, 30 minutes in the middle of a card, and that made it. That could have made a minute by itself. I mean, that was a tremendous tag team match. 30-minute tag team draw in the middle of the show. Let's keep going. 1987, a guy that you're very familiar with, and I know he's a good friend of yours, Joe, had a tendency to put people through windshields. Only if they didn't make their payment. That's exactly right. You didn't make your payment to his dad's uh, auto company. Well, by God, you're going to taste some glass. And that's our buddy Nord the Barbarian, who, of course, went on to be Nord uh, the, the Yukon John Nord and the Berserker and, you know, any number of names. So, Matt, hey, before you get on to his opponent, real quick John Nord story. So we yeah. used to do the AWA Courage Cup at the Metrodome. It was the AWA All-Stars against the KQ All-Stars. And the very first season that we had done that, Nord was playing, and uh, there was a... a uh, one, one of the players, if you will, or one of the people from the KQ was Mike Gelfand, called him Stretch. Oh, sure. He was, Stretch was five, 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 six, maybe a buck 40 soaking wet. Nord, Nord legit six, six, close to three bills. So match happens. They've got a car in the Metrodome there to promote uh, Nord Motor Company. Nord grabs Stretch, and Stretch is not looking happy. Nord proceeds to body slam him on the car. I have never seen a 140-pound guy look so effing pissed off in his life. He was fine. He didn't get hurt. How Nord was able to accomplish that, I don't know. But I remember Gelfand's look on his face. And he was not happy. Continue. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because I asked Mike Gelfand, Stretch, to be on SNR a couple of times. And for some reason, he didn't want to be associated with wrestling anymore. And, and now I understand why. Um, hey, give it to John Nord for professionalism, for not putting the guy, you know, completely through the dashboard and the front seat and everything else. But uh, Nord's opponent for the evening... I have a, a particular affinity for this guy. That's him on the bottom there, ladies and gentlemen. That's our good friend, Jim Lanning, a.k.a. Soldat Ustinov. Um, <laughs> Soldat Ustinov, and he's seen there with Boris Zukov. I've said before, when I auditioned for the AWA, um, Soldat Ustinov was off camera as I was cutting a promo with Nick Bockwinkle. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw Moon Landing. And uh, and and uh, Ustinov had dropped his uh, zubas down to his knees and flashed that rectoris majora of his. Um, at first, I thought it was you, Joe. I didn't get a good look. Um, Might have been the mustache. I'm not sure. But nonetheless, Soldat Ustinov actually mooned me during my AWA tryout, and I di- I didn't sell it. I did not sell for it. Mick, if I would have done that, it would have only have been because you proclaimed to yourself to be an aspiring proctologist. 
Well, you've been dealing with assholes. Hey, listen. Oh, put that put that away. And you're right. Good point there. Been dealing with assholes for quite some time. All right, let's uh, let's revisit revisit the 1987 show. You talk about legitimate tough guys in the business, and uh, you know he. He got his feet wet in the AWA as a tough guy, but then he all of a sudden became a convict uh, elsewhere. Uh, the guy that I'm talking about is Kevin Kelly. In the AWA, he was aligned with Medusa, and of course he wrestled as Mr. Magnificent and teamed up with a guy we're going to talk about in a minute, uh, Nick Kaniski. Uh, Kevin Kelly, who of course went on to become Nails, in the WWF and, and strangled Vince McMahon over a contract dispute. That was probably his greatest claim to fame. He wrestled a very interesting opponent and defeated him that evening. And Joe, you remember this guy very well. Not sure a lot of people do. I'm talking about Alan West, who was actually an Eddie Sharkey pupil and then started wrestling for the AWA. Very popular young man. There he is. Uh, came in kind of a flash in the pan in the late 1980s, and uh, boom, he's gone. Trap door opened, and uh, no more Alan West. So uh, Kevin Kelly got the Duke that night, and to open the show, um, a great guy. If you knew this guy, his dad was one of the great all-time wrestlers uh, in professional wrestling, Gene Kaniski. And uh, Gene gave birth to two sons. Or what Gene didn't, his wife did. <laughs> to, to two sons who got involved in wrestling. One was Kelly Kaniski, and the other was the man that we're going to take a look at right now, hopefully. And that would be Slick Nick Kaniski. If we got Nick's photograph ready to go, maybe not. And we're having some technical difficulties. Oh, let's start with the opponent. Let's start with the opponent. Uh, that is Jam and Mitch Snow. And Mitch was another one of those guys, very popular, teamed up with Alan West, actually, on occasion in the AWA in the dying days. And, and Mitch was a tremendously talented wrestler, great baby face. Uh, unfortunately, not a lot of years in the business. And then sadly uh, and tragically took his own, his own life uh, several years out of the business, and that's Nick Kaniski. Slick. Sorry, I, I know we got Nick up on the screen, but just a quick note about Mitch Snow. Yeah. When I think of Mitch Snow, I think of the free-for-all battle royal music video that I had oh. done. We did it out of Las Vegas. It was a bloodbath by many. Mitch Snow literally got, well, I shouldn't say literally because it's wrestling, but he got the snot beat out of him. He was crimson red and just took a beating in that battle royal. And sadly, or maybe not sadly because of the way he went out, um, that's how I remember Mitch Snow. Good worker, good kid, um, just small and bloodied in that battle royal. Sorry to interrupt you. Let's talk no. about this no, you know, and I got to tell you, of all the, oh man, of, of all the, the AWA videos that I have seen, that has got to be my favorite show. I, I, I don't, there was just something about it. I don't know if it was the background track or whatever, uh, but you captured every bit of that AWA free for all. And they were taking that all over the horn. Uh, you know, what you saw on television was from the showboat, but. 
I don't know how many times Mitch must have gone through that. Oh. Uh, they took it all over the horn in the AWA area night after night. Uh, but again, um, what we want to talk about here, just real briefly, is the contracts. Contrast. We gave you a show from 1981, and then we advanced to 1987. And Joe, in that time frame, of course, you had the WWF expansion in the mid-1980s, and then the shit hit the fan. I, why don't you talk a little bit about the difference, not only in the atmosphere, but overall attendances from 81 to 87. So I, I don't have the attendance figures for 81, but I think it's safe to say that it was a sellout or at the very least a near sellout, which would have put it at about, what, 18, 19,000, I believe, at the old Civic Center. Um, that's just typical. Um, Hulk Hogan came into the AWA August of 1980 with his uh, manager at the time, the luscious Johnny Valiant. I remember seeing that interview. Hogan didn't say a lick. He just posed. Well, he didn't talk, and they put him with Valiant because Hogan couldn't talk. He could right. not cut a promo, and that was evident even when he had Mean Gene in there in the early interviews. So you really had, in 1981, um, I think arguably the AWA was rising to its highest peak, which would have been in May of 1983, Super Sunday. Uh, or as I know, it was April 20th, I believe, was Super Sunday. You, you know what's interesting, Joe? You talk about the AWA rising, and, you know, this is 1981 and so forth. I believe financially 1982 was the biggest year the AWA ever had because they were selling out right and left. No doubt about it. There was literally, you had to run and not walk to get your tickets yeah. because they were going to be sold out. And it makes sense for 82. Hogan in 81 was still a rising star. They had him for all. They, they When I say they had him for all, they had Hulkamania. Yeah. All of Hulkamania for all of 1982, and you throw in the other talent. I mean, the, the it's a it's a, a Hall of Fame list of talent. So it, it's understandable that it would have been the greatest financial year ever. Um, but then you fast forward to 1987, the second card that we ran down, and you know some of the names were still they were still good. Um, you know, but you got Adrian and Wahoo on the back ends of their careers. The, the the Express were at the end. I mean, you had the Rockers and so forth. You had a nice little mix. But in that short six-year time frame, as you mentioned, Mick, the WWF at the time had, um, I hate to use the term rated, because uh, every, the talent, I mean, they were independent contractors. So Vince McMahon, give them credit. He took the best talent and, and did what um, a smart businessman would have done at the time. But the rise of the uh, WWF in uh, uh, 84, I believe it was May of 84, when the first foursome of the AWA migrated to New York. Uh, but then you go to 87, yeah, AWA by that point was uh, in my opinion, it was still one year away from 
being taken off of life support. Um, it was on life support by Christmas of 87. Sadly, as the attendance figure of 1800 will denote, um, but uh, some, some may wonder and ask, so what was the taken off the life support moment for me? That would have been Super Clash 3 in Chicago. Um, great idea, multiple promotions uh, and promoters, but an absolute flop. That was, that was taking it off of life support. It was still breathing, being taken off of life support after that. Not for too long, unfortunately. What, what, I, what I would say for my life support uh, moment was Twin Wars 90. Uh, the AWA was still barely functioning, but they brought in Ric Flair <clears throat> to his old hometown to wrestle Brian Pillman. And it was a loaded card. And Ric Flair coming back, Brian Pillman, a great opponent, NWA Wrestling, WCW had a tremendous following, and they drew a couple thousand people. And I remember looking around and thinking, this is it. This is, is it? officially the nail in the coffin. Ric Flair should have filled the building, you know, and he was one-tenth there. So there you go. And But again, ladies and gentlemen, we're, we're talking apples and oranges. Yeah. In a very short time, unfortunately. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And uh, that's a, a topic, you guys, that I want to get into, you know, down the road where we kind of talk about the, you know, un the, the unfortunate end, because I, I know that you were both, you know, there and you kind of saw some things uh, that had kind of given you the the inclination that that was going to happen. Before we get going, uh, we got our shout outs and then we've got a very special announcement for show number 50. So, uh do we want to do the announcement first for Let's show 50? Do the announcement, do yeah, the announcement and then we'll wrap then we'll wrap on the, the shout out. So yeah. uh Mick, why don't you go ahead and uh you take the uh the announcement and then uh, you and Joe can kind of go back and forth and then we'll wrap up with the shout out. Uh you can go ahead and give it. Well, we're having a little bit of a contest, ladies and gentlemen. And when I say a little bit of one, I mean a big one. Uh for the end of the year. We're doing something that is going to directly involve you, and it is called the AWA Dream Card Contest. Uh, whether you want to call yourself the promoter, the booker, whatever it is, we have five specific matches that we want you to book. You can pick any AWA wrestlers from any era. doesn't have to be specifically 80s, 60s, right on to the very end. Mix it, Mix and match. Mix and match, absolutely. You put them together, and the three of us, the three pseudo-wise men, uh, are going to take a look at the entries, and the three, not one, but the three best... Look, look at them. Look at them there. Well, we're talking Christmas, you know? Oh, man. Look at that. My, my He's transparent. Wow. Talk, about, talk about jingle bells. Balls. But, but anyway, uh, we are going to get not us, but our friends at Soda Stick are giving away three $50 gift cards. Three, folks. That's right. The trio. You're showing uh, Tubbs is showing you up there in the corner. We're going to have three winners of $50 gift cards to our friends at Soda Stick Clothing, uh, our great, great sponsor. And again, it involves you 
the fans. You booked the shows, five specific matches, and Chris, I know before we talk about the matches, you're really excited about this. I, I, I am, because all of the the fans of the AWA, you know, everybody's like, you know, everybody's got their favorite. You know, I, I love the 60s, I love the 70s, you know, and I, I, I didn't know much about it. You know, I prefer the 80s. Whatever you prefer, whatever your preference is, if you found out something and you're like, oh man, I, you know, I, I'm really a fan of Larry Henning now. You know what? You could put Larry Henning in there with Kurt Henning. I mean, it could be anything, any of those stipulations. And yes, we will actually go over the shows here on the show. We'll go over the submissions and we will pick three of them. And I'm super excited because we're all going to have our, our different angles. So I'm, I'm really super excited, and hopefully you guys are are excited to do this too. I mean, Soda Stick has stepped up in a big, big way, and what a way to kick off 2023. Absolutely. Quick question, that Brass Knuckles last man standing match, could could I just want to get some clarification. Could it be um, a handicap match? Could it involve an AWA announcer versus, like, let's say – Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen versus, oh God, I don't know, uh, pick up some, maybe Mick Karch. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I was going to say Marty O'Neill, but man, you, you went straight for uh, Mick Crotch. That, that, that's, that's, um, that's an interesting prospect, Joe. And uh, I was thinking more along the production lines, perhaps the <laughs> noted combination of Chupik and Darusha, the, the, as they call them, the, the powerful producers could get into the ring with Brody and Hanson, maybe throw in Abdullah, maybe throw in, you know, whoever else. And uh, I, I would, I would pay to see that. Stan Hanson in a depth percentage contest. I would be fine with that because I, I, I would develop McCarch arms when, when, when you're called to pay the bill. Um, when, when Al would come to take me out with my, you know, I would go into the match. I would like to point out in the spirit of the holiday that you're an asshole. But anyway. <laughs> you can call yourself the proctologist, the proctologist, Mitch Karch. There we go. Uh, let's talk about the matches. Yes, let's do uh, and that. And again, the, the scroll has been running, but we want these five. And write them down however you want to do this. Watch the, the video stream again. A one fall to a finish match for a vacant singles title. Now, again, this could be the world heavyweight title, whatever you want to do, but it's going to be no disqualification, no time limit, one fall to a finish. Also, I want you to do a tag team death match, the most falls in one hour. So not a legitimate, so nobody's going to die. It's just a type of, because I wasn't sure where you were going with the death match. Nobody is going to die. Okay, good. The coroner need not be called. Good. Okay. Uh, we are going to have a ladies' match on the show as well. Uh, it can be for a title if you want it to be. If not, that's fine. Uh, but make sure that the ladies had actually competed in the AWA. You know, uh, Fabulous Mula would not, she would not count. She, she did not wrestle here. Uh, we want a lumberjack match and a six man tag team cage match so 
I would hope that this show would draw more than 1,800. <laughs> uh, I, I would certainly think that it would. But nonetheless, book those five matches, and, and by God, you could be a winner. $50 gift card from Soda Stick. And what is the deadline on that, Mick? Because we're going, the, the show, we're not going to have a show next week. Between Christmas and New Year's, uh, there's going to be no show. Uh, but the next show that is going to drop is going to be on January 3rd. So this is going to be the last one of 2022. What is the deadline that you want all of these submissions? So we have time to, to look at them. Are we, are we talking the 27th of January would that work like midnight on the 27th of December? December, rather, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Midnight, okay. December 27th. Email them to you. What's what's your email? Mick Karsh, all lowercase, at gmail.com. And I think we're going to have a, an awful lot of participants. So I would say don't wait. Get them in early. Yeah. And, again, thank you, Soda Stick. What a great gesture. And uh, let's put together some blockbuster cards. And I think, Joe, you would agree with me. As soon as we see a Silo Sam entry or a Rocky Mountain Thunder entry or even the boombox. Or the blaster. Or the blaster, um, you're disqualified. I... Well, no, no, no. Let's, 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 let's see what side they're on. You know, because maybe ah. there's like a four-on-one handicap where it's okay. bruiser – Hanson, you know, I mean, you get, you know, against the boombox guy. So let's Silo Sam against Mick Karch. Wow. I've done that, you know, the five marriages, but <laughs> <laughs> all right. Anyway, so, uh, we've got uh, one shout out. We're just going to do one shout out, Mick. And uh, why don't you go ahead and you put it out there and then we'll, uh, then we'll bring it home. Rather than do one specific person, Joe and Chris and I have decided that we want to give the year-end shout-out and a holiday shout-out to all of you. Uh, you have made this podcast a tremendous success in a short amount of time. We love the feedback. We love the support. If you have not yet subscribed, especially to YouTube, for God's sakes, what are you waiting for? Uh, we need you. But it would be a Christmas miracle. It would. The, the, the feedback, though, has been fantastic. And we have some really, really loyal viewers. So I would like everybody. to I'd like to extend my thank you as well, not only to the fans, but to the two of you. I'm the new kid on the block here. This is, again, maybe my what third or fourth podcast. I'm enjoying the living shit out of this. It, it, it just comes easy. It's my wheelhouse in a way it's the awa even mm -hmm. as a fan growing up before, you know in the 70s and early 80s before i started working and was privileged to be around all of these guys thank the fans thank the two of you merry christmas happy hanukkah here's looking up your address whatever you'd like to add a happy blanket happy holidays to one and all and to all a good night